apples and oranges, maybe a commercial product like a Starbucks, maybe that's pretty different and should be pretty different from a creative product like a piece of music or a novel. Well, I would differ on that on a number of grounds. One, I think certainly culinary arts are arts in the same way that musical arts are arts. But if you want to sort of steer away from those kind of parallels and just think about novels, one of the things we do in copyright traditionally is we understand that there's a concept of genre, and we have something called the senza fair doctrine, which basically says there are certain stock things that are understood to go with a certain type of story. Something like a story involving wizards might have pointy hats and beards. Mm-hmm. So when J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter, she was not sued by the J.R.R. Tolkien estate, the writer of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I think rightly so, because although there, too, there were wizards with hats and beards, it's understood that that's part of what makes a wizard a wizard. Right. But but in that case, Tolkien didn't invent wizards and beards. But if J.K. Rowling had named her world Middle-earth, that might have been copyright infringement. That might have been. So it really is a question of what's at stake. So likewise, in this case, did Marvin Gaye invent funk music? No. He's a fantastic or was a fantastic artist, but he himself riffed openly on the work of others who preceded him and acknowledged that. Yeah. There's this long history of artists who build on the style of their predecessors. I mean, you could argue that pretty much this is the way the arts, the creative arts works. You know, Rolling Stones borrows from Muddy Waters, Picasso borrows from Cezanne. But I think one reason that so many people were really upset about this ruling is that it seems to ignore the way artistic creativity works and even to redefine and set a a kind of chillingly high bar for originality. I couldn't agree more. I think that we often have a kind of popular understanding of creativity or innovation, even in, say, technology, that really privileges the idea of uh, kind of a eureka moment or a pioneering invention or creative work. And that certainly does happen sometimes. But much more common is work that takes something that already exists and makes it better or makes it different, tweaks it, builds on it, improves it. And we understand that when we talk about ideas like genre or trends, those are things that look alike. That's a series of things that look alike in some way or another. So... You know, you could pick any number of art forms and see that. And so I think that's really at the heart of creative work. And people really are influenced by others and sometimes overtly make that clear. And there's plenty of examples in contemporary music and older music of that. And we've never thought of that as being something that broke the law. We thought of it as, you know, maybe not so original, maybe a little bit derivative. Depends, obviously. It's something that's in the ear of the beholder but never something that violated the law until this case. You know, listening to you, it's hard not to think that the entire legal profession is kind of at fault here and that we've carried copyright law to extremes and really have kind of privatized and monetized what should never have been monetized in the first place. Well, I think there's something to that. I I do think that copyright has been taken too far. So in my book with Chris Sprigman, The Knockoff Economy, we... We kind of explore that concept in a lot of different domains. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about looking at the creative world is that there are many creative arts that are not protected by copyright that are extremely creative nonetheless. And so that calls into question whether we really need this hammer of copyright to 
foster creativity, which is the ostensible purpose of copyright, to, to make it possible for people to create in the first place. What's also interesting, what creative products we copyright and what we consider not copyrightable. There's a story you tell about a, New York, a couple of New York chefs, um, but maybe you should tell the story of Ed's Lobster Bar. Sure. So in New York, there's a well-known restaurant called the Pearl Oyster Bar. And at one point, a chef from Pearl, a chef named Ed, went off and opened his own restaurant just maybe a mile away called Ed's Lobster Bar. And there was a, a kind of legal action taken. In the end, it was settled. There was a legal action taken by the owner of Pearl Oyster Bar, arguing that Ed had taken, essentially copied the look and feel of the restaurant and even copied their iconic and original Caesar salad. So what makes this story so interesting is it gets at this same set of questions we're talking about with regard to music. What's the line between, you know, reasonable homage or...